Hey guys, my name is Ayla Francis and I'm a senior at TCA. I have a new life in Christ and I'm recovering from anxiety, pride, and control. I've grown up in a Christian school and home, so I've always heard about God and known the basic Sunday school answers about him. My mom walked my brother and I through a prayer to accept Jesus into our hearts when we were really little. And after that, I believed in God and accepted that as a normal part of my life without question. It wasn't until seventh grade that my faith was really challenged due to overwhelming anxiety entering my life. I constantly compared myself to others and obsessed about performing to an impossible standard in school, sports, and social life. I pushed myself to do better with no grace for myself and no lasting satisfaction in the results. Living in a self-centered world built on chasing an impossible dream of perfectionism crippled my mental state and left me feeling empty and crushed by pressure. It didn't even cross my mind that God would care about my personal problems, and I subconsciously pictured him as one of the unseen forces putting pressure on me to be a better person and measure up to what I thought was his standard of perfection too. One night when it became too much to bear, I started thinking about the advice that had gone over my head all those years at church or with my parents when they talked about dealing with hard times. I remembered they had always preached to look to the Bible, so I decided to give that a chance. I searched up verses about anxiety on the Bible app and found so many comforting words of wisdom that characterized God not of strict legalism, but of grace. A passage that calmed my worries was Matthew 10, 29 through 31 that says, are not two sparrows sold for a penny, yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside of your father's care. And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. This showed me that God cares about every little detail of my life and accepting him meant surrendering all the worries of my life over to his control and finding peace and knowing he will take care of me. However, this was easier said than done. After realizing the true nature of God, I prayed to him and read verses about anxiety whenever I felt overwhelmed, but this was using the comfort of God's plan as a coping mechanism only when I needed him, rather than having a personal, life-changing relationship with him. I slipped into a lifestyle of selfishness and people-pleasing, and I had no self-awareness about my prideful personality until my friend Olivia and my small group leader Heather loved me enough to call me out. They helped me work through recognizing harmful patterns of unkindness in myself and discovering the source of my unhappiness, which was not having a right view of my relationship with God. After a lot of prayer, asking questions, and diving deep into scripture beyond just using it as an emotional band-aid, I discovered that God is real and moving in my soul. He has a redeeming purpose for my sinful self, which is glorifying him, and he spoke through those mentors around me to draw me toward him. I finally understood in my heart that Jesus loves me personally and died to cover the price of my sin so he doesn't expect perfection from me. Instead, he just wants to be invited into all areas of my life, big or small, because he cares about them all and wants to shape me to look like him. A verse that encouraged me in my journey is Psalms 70, or 37, 23 through 24 that says, the Lord makes firm the steps of the one who delights in him. Though he may stumble, he will not fall, for the Lord upholds him with his hand. Once I started to learn more about God through scripture, I saw the result of God upholding me through my contentment and humility due to my gratefulness for his compassion and a desire to show it to others. Although I am not perfect and still fall back into anxious thoughts, being hard on myself or pride, I no longer feel shame and anger about my shortcomings, but joy in the forgiveness of God and the help he provides. I can trust him to supernaturally do good works through me and show his love to others instead of me trying and failing to be better on my own. 
to publicly share with everyone my freedom from a lifestyle of sin and worry. I got baptized at Watermark my sophomore year of high school. Now, despite mess ups and all the trials that life brings, I can stay confident in my pursuit to unashamedly trust in and represent the Savior that brought me from death in my sins to grace, joy, and contentment. If you relate to any part of my story, I would first encourage you to listen to constructive criticism. I know that's hard when you have pride, but God often works through believers older and wiser than you to help you find the life he has for you. Second, I would remind you that you're not alone. No matter what lies the enemy tells you about not being good enough or about everything that might go wrong, your life is in God's perfect hands and you are worth more to him than what anyone on this earth could see you as. If you are someone like me who ignored stories like this growing up in the church simply because I was used to hearing them, don't dismiss this story as churchy words that don't apply to you or mean anything real, but take this testimony as proof that Jesus is calling you to a greater, purposeful, and freeing life the same way that he did with me. Thank you for listening to my story. Amen. How are we doing, Shoreline? Man, it is good to be with you. My name is Will McElroy. I'm the Shoreline Men's Coordinator here, and I, I just wanted to start off by saying I, I love getting to worship with you guys. Those, those uh, songs, especially You've Already Won, that, I just wanted to share with you guys that that's a song. It, it came out a while ago, and, uh, and it came, I started hearing it right after we went to the Dominican Republic with a group of high schoolers, and then Ever since then, that song has just reminded me of, of you guys, honestly. Like, when I hear that song, and I've listened to it probably every week for, you know, the better part of this last year, last six months at least, and I, I pray for you guys when I hear that song. I've just, I, I, I think I've really realized lately how being a, I think being a teenager is harder, and I'm, I'm only 24. I'm not that far removed from you guys, but I was even asking a group of teenagers uh, Sunday night, I'm just, if, if there was something you could help adults understand, what would it be? And the, the group of teenagers was like, it's hard. Like, being a teenager is hard. And I, I think the reason that song, like, You've Already Won, reminds me of you is because I, I just wish I could help every teenager who uh, their treasure is Christ, who if, if your teenager made, made your treasure Christ, that like you've already won. And then that second song, Take You At Your Word, it's like, man, you've already won. And if Christ is your treasure, if God is your treasure, then that take you at his word. It's like, what does his word say? It says, do not be anxious about anything. Do not worry about anything. And so he's already won. If, tre- if Christ is your treasure, the, the battle's won. You know how the story's gonna end. And so he's saying, do not be anxious about what? Like anything. And even, even as like a pastor, I, I, I get anxious for you guys and I feel like I can give myself a pass sometimes because like I, I hear a lot of stories, you know, of just, man, like how hard it is being a teenager. Like I hear about the divorce or the breakups or like how hard homework is or uh, what, like just things that, about being a teenager that's hard and it's like, man, I, like, I, I feel like I can get a pass to worry about you guys since it's like important, it's like eternity. And it, even Jesus is saying, no, like, don't worry about that, Well, don't worry about anything. If, if Christ is your treasure, if God is my treasure, then the battle's won, I don't need to worry and you don't need to worry. Um, 
So I just wanted to share that with you. And you, you've heard me use the word treasure a lot in, in those first few sentences. Like when I was thinking about those songs, I was thinking that, man, Christ is my treasure. And uh, I think that's a good segue in what we're talking about tonight because we're, we're, we're talking about hidden treasure tonight. And uh, we're going to be, if you, if you haven't been to Shoreline this year, we've been in a series called See You at the Shoreline, which the name of our high school ministry is obviously Shoreline. And the reason we, we named it that is because if you read the Gospels, if you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you're going to see a common theme is that Jesus, he spent a lot of time next to the shoreline. And part of that was just practical reasons. It was easy to hop on a boat and go country to country. And then the other part of that was it, crowd, it was easy for crowds to gather at the shoreline. Like people could gather in large crowds. Everyone could hear him. And in the same way, we want our high school ministry, we want shoreline to be a place where students can gather and hear the words of Christ. So we've been looking at parables about messages this year where Jesus taught from the shoreline. And today, we're gonna to be looking at a story that Jesus shared from the shoreline. It's gonna be in Matthew 13. So if you have your Bible, you can go ahead and turn to Matthew 13. It's gonna be verse 44. But while you're turning there, and he, he's gonna talk about treasure. And while you're turning there, I, I wanna, share a story about treasure to you. I think, I think we all find treasure fascinating. And I used to, before I was preparing for this message, I thought hidden treasure, I thought people stopped hiding treasure in like the 1700s, you know, whenever pirates were a big thing. But people still hide treasure, as a matter of fact. I want to introduce you to Forrest Finn. There's a picture of him coming out. This is Forrest Finn. So he was a Vietnam pilot, and then after Vietnam, he became an art dealer. Basically, like, he collected treasure for a living and was successful. Millions of dollars was made over his lifetime, and uh, he got diagnosed with cancer in the, somewhere around the 2000s and started kind of having existential life questions, like, Life is bigger than me. I have collected all this treasure, so what, I'm, what am I going to do with it? And so uh, you can see in the next picture, he put all of his treasure in a box. He put it all in a box, and he hid it in the Rocky Mountains. And now he claims it's worth about $3 million in that box. And he wrote a poem. He wrote a poem with, with all the hints you would need to go find this treasure. So he hid it in 2010. And then in 2020, it was finally found. But here's, the, here's what's crazy. In those 10 years that people looked for it, Forrest Finn says that about 350,000 people went searching for this treasure. He says people quit their jobs to go look for it. They sold their house. They moved their family to the Rocky Mountains. In fact, one guy got arrested looking for the treasure. He was in Yosemite National Park and he was digging up graves because he thought the treasure was in a grave. Uh, and, and what's even crazier is five people, five people lost their lives looking for this treasure. Like, it's insane. And finally, some 32-year-old med student found it in the Rocky Mountains, and, and that's the story. But the reason I start there is because I think that, that fits with the verse we're looking at today, Matthew verse 13, 44. And in this chapter, Jesus several times, he talks about what the kingdom of heaven is like. The kingdom of heaven is like length. The kingdom of heaven is like what? And, and I want you to kind of think to yourself, fill in that blank, like Jesus, we're about to read a verse where Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is like 
Like, what would you say there? The kingdom of heaven is like what? Is it like going on your dream vacation, going to the most beautiful place in the world, or is it like that feeling you get when you study really hard on a test and get an A, or maybe that, that feeling you get when your, your person you like texts or snaps you back? Like, what would you say the kingdom of heaven is like? Well, here's what Jesus says. Matthew 13, 44, he says, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. And so tonight, we're gonna look at just, just this verse. We're gonna pick apart this verse. And what I love about this verse is, again, like I want you to think back to what you would have answered. If it was a fill-in-the-blank test, what would you have said? The kingdom of heaven is like what? I love how Jesus, he doesn't describe heaven. He doesn't paint us a picture of what heaven is going to be like. Instead, what he is saying is, hey, I can't even use words to describe heaven, but here's, here's how you're going to respond to heaven when you see it. So I'm going to ask three questions tonight to better help us understand this verse. And the first question is going to be exactly that, is what is a right response to heaven? Like, what is a right response to the kingdom of God? What is a right response to Christ when we see him? And then my second question is going to be, what is the cost of heaven? What's the cost? Like, this man, he sold everything he had. What does that look like for our life? What's the cost? And then lastly, what makes heaven worth it? What makes heaven worth the cost? So let's start with point number one, question number one. What is a right response to heaven? What is a right response to heaven? Well, I'm going to say this. I'm going to explain it. The right response to heaven, the right response to heaven is leveraging everything you have to obtain it. The right response to heaven is leveraging everything you have to obtain it. That's what we see the guy in the story says. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like a hidden treasure. And when, when a man finds it, he buries it, he hides it, and then he goes and sells everything he has to obtain it. He's like, man, I don't want to lose it. I don't want to lose heaven. So I'm, gonna, I'm going all in, everything I have. Like my life is going to look crazy because I want to buy this field. And to help you understand, I want, I want you to think back to Forrest Finn. You remember the, the treasure guy? Imagine you're, you're at, a, at a park. You're sitting on a bench. Imagine Forrest Finn, the treasure guy. He sits next to you. And you get, you get an airdrop notification. And Forrest, he accidentally airdropped you the treasure map. Okay, he accidentally airdropped you like the coordinates, the exact coordinates to this treasure that's worth $3 million. Like, what would you do? What would you do? I don't, I don't know what you do, but I'm, I'm dropping everything I have to go look for this. Like, if I'm a high schooler, I'm going to my parents, like, mom and dad, like, I found this treasure map. Like, I got to go to the Rocky Mountains. Like, got to skip school, buy me a plane ticket. They look at you and they say, you're crazy. Like, what are you doing? Or imagine you go home to Shoreline, to, after Shoreline tonight, you go home, your parents, mom and dad, they sit you down and say, hey, we, we need to talk. They get serious. You're like, okay, what, what do we need to talk about? And they say, mom and I have been talking 
and we want to buy a field. A field? What, what, are we, what do you mean? Like, why do you need to talk to me about that? Go buy a field. And they're like, no, no, no. You don't understand. For us to afford this field, like for us to get this field, we need to sell everything. We have to sell the house, the cars, your car, your phone, everything. That's crazy. Like you would look at them and be like, what? what are you doing? It's just a field. Like what are you doing? And so in the same way, when you stumble upon the kingdom of heaven, when you find the kingdom of heaven, it should cause you to do things that look crazy to those who don't know Christ. Right, this man, he's selling everything he has. That's crazy. And so when you start to follow Christ, when you see the kingdom of heaven, it should cause you to do some things that are irresponsible. Like if people are looking at you, it's like, man, why are you giving so much of your time away? Why are you giving so much of your money away? Like what, what, it, your life should just start to look different. And so when you, the right response to the kingdom of heaven is leveraging everything you have to obtain it, everything. Which brings me to my second point is what, what is the cost of heaven? What is the cost of choosing heaven? Now, two things here. I think one, you may be thinking, well, you just told me the cost of choosing heaven. You said the cost of choosing heaven is everything, leveraging everything to obtain it. And then some of you, I think, may also be thinking, well, Will, I've, I've grown up in church, Will, and I've heard people say that, like, heaven, salvation is a free gift, right? Like, one of my favorite verses, Romans 6, 23, it says, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. And so, Will, how, how do we reconcile those? Like, you just said heaven uh, is leveraging everything we have to obtain it. But then salvation is also free. And, and so, like, what's the cost here? What's the cost? Because we see in this parable that this man, he sold everything he had to obtain it. So what, what is the cost? Well, I'll tell you the cost. The cost of choosing heaven is surrender. The cost of choosing heaven is complete surrender of your life. You did nothing to earn Christ. The cost of heaven is surrender. You, and you did nothing to earn Christ. You did nothing to earn salvation. But it's going to cost you everything to follow him. You see, I, I think we, we, we go to church oftentimes and we expect to give a little and get a little. Like when I was 18 years old, I started to take my faith a little more seriously. Like I realized I came to a point in my life where it's like, man, I, I have been partying too much. This isn't good for me. Like I've been watching too much pornography. Like I don't want to be addicted to these things anymore. I want to be, be free from them. And so I'm going to get involved in church and like I'm, I'm going to like allow church and God to fix me. So I'm going to give a little and, and get a little. I give a little of myself of my time and, and get a little healing from God. And, and God is saying like, no, 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 that, that's not the deal we're making here. I want you to give me everything you have so I can give you everything I have. Like that's the only deal that, can't take, that can take place. Like I, I can't have lukewarm followers. Like you can't be one foot in, one foot out with me. It's either everything or nothing. And so when I say that there is a cost of falling in heaven, that's what I mean is that the cost is 
fully surrendering your life and it may hurt a little bit. Like it started to hurt when I realized that like, man, God, he wasn't done with me when he uh, cured me from like a porn addiction. He wasn't done with me when he cured me from alcohol addiction. Like he wanted more, he wanted all of my life. And so I, I did nothing to earn Christ. Like I said, you, you can do nothing to earn Christ, but it started to cost me to follow him. And it's going to cost you if you want to follow him. It may mean, it's going to mean you're going to have to change if Christ enters your life. It may change the way you dress. It may change the way you talk. It may change the friends you hang out with. It may Having Christ in your life may cause you to have hard, embarrassing, and awkward conversations. It may mean going to your parents and saying, Mom and Dad, I don't know if social media is helpful for me because of the comparison, the sin of comparison that caused me. I don't, Mom, Dad, I don't know if my phone, if even my phone is helpful for me because uh, I've been watching things on here that I, I know just aren't good for me. And like those are hard conversations and conversations that I know people have had when they started following Christ. And so the cost of choosing heaven is surrender. And let, let me tell you, uh, uh, give you an illustration as we close at this point. It's by C.S. Lewis. Which if you don't know C.S. Lewis, he's a Christian author. He wrote Narnia uh, and Mere Christianity. And this illustration comes from uh, Mere Christianity. And he's talking about the cost of following Christ. And this is what, is, this is what he says. He says, imagine, you are, imagine you're a house. You're a living house. And God buys that house. And he moves in. God moves in. And he does, he does all the things you would expect a new homeowner to do. He, he repairs some burnt out light bulbs. He fixes the plumbing, he fixes the creaky boards, like the floorboards, and you're like, man, I knew that needed to happen. Like, I knew that needed to fix, thank you. And then he starts going a step further. He does a, a kitchen remodel, and you're like, God, we had a great kitchen, what are you doing? And then he starts tearing down a wall, he starts building new rooms, he adds a new wing, he kind of throws on some towers here, and pretty soon he's, your, your little cottage you had that you thought was kind of nice is starting to look completely different, and you're like, God, what, what are you doing? Like, I had a nice thing going here, and he's saying, look, I am building a palace. God, why are you building a palace? Because I'm a king and I intend to live here. Like I'm living here. In the same way Galatians 2.20 says, it says, I've been crucified with Christ. I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So the cost of choosing heaven is fully surrendering. And we fully surrender to Christ. It is Christ living in you. And you're going to, your life is going to change. Your life is going to change. So, first two questions was, what, what is the right response to heaven? The right response to heaven is leveraging everything you have on earth. Everything. And what's the cost? The cost is that your life is going to change. Salvation's free. You did nothing to earn Christ, but it may cost you to follow him. So, my last question What makes heaven worth it? What makes heaven worth it? When I was a teenager, let me tell you my plan. I 
I believed in God, but I wouldn't say I was pursuing a relationship with him. And so here was my plan. I remember people kind of would ask me, it's like, man, do you have a faith? And I was like, yeah, yeah, I, I believe in God, but here's the, here's the thing. I, I want to live, I want to live it up. Like I want to party, I want to do all the things life has to offer. Like I'm going to have a good time while I'm on this earth. And then when I'm 75, maybe 80, if I make it that long when I'm dying, I'm going to say a prayer, a quick prayer, ask God for forgiveness, and then I'm going to get eternal life too. Like that's the best of both worlds, right? And I wish I could go back to 16-year-old Will, 17-year-old Will, and just tell him like, no, like, no, 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 you don't, you don't get it. You don't get it because what makes heaven worth it? Because the kingdom of God is more valuable than even life itself. Like, man, Will, like, I wish I could go to 16-year-old Will and say, dude, like, you don't get it. Like, Mark, Mark 8.30, it says, uh, what, what does it benefit a man to gain the whole world but lose his soul? Like, Will, if you follow that plan, if that's your plan to, to, ask God for forgiveness at your deathbed, like you're gonna lose a lot of life and you're gonna lose a lot of your soul. You're gonna cause a lot of, of pain in your life. And so, man, I'm telling you, if your plan is like my was, then listen, uh, hear from my experience. It's like, man, not only was I causing pain in my life back then, but I was losing out on the fullness of joy that God was wanting to offer me. And so I, I know there's some of you that maybe you still, you'll leave tonight and you still, you won't, you won't get it. You, you won't fully surrender. And man, I, I wish you would because I don't want you to have to experience some of the hurt that I did. But here's the thing, experience, experience was a great teacher for me. Experience was a great teacher for me, but it was a costly one. Experience is a great teacher, but it's a costly one. And so I want you to, to hear from me that, man, God, the creator of the universe, the all-knowing, all-loving, all-powerful God, like he is in your corner. He is not trying to rip you off. He's trying to set you free, and he wants your joy. Like he wants you to be happy. And so why, why, why would you not trust that? Why would you not trust that? And, and look, I, I know I know there's some of you in here, man, that you have, and you have leveraged everything you have you, you've counted the cost, like you've made the hard decisions of following Christ. And I, I know even still it's hard. It, it's hard for me some days of just being like, man, like this, following Christ is hard. And so whether you're, if you're a believer or not, if you're still kind of counting the cost and saying that, like, man, following Christ feels like a lot of loss. Like, it feels like I'm losing out on life following Christ. Like, it just feels like a lot of don't do this, don't do that. Then here's what I would tell you. I would say, I want you to go read Hebrews 12, verse 2. And before you read it, before you read this verse, I want you to remember the life of, of Jesus. Remember the life of Jesus. Here, here's, a, here's God himself becoming man, who he was, he was tempted uh, by the, by the devil who said, hey, like you can be king, like you can be the richest man on earth. And Jesus said, no, no, no. No, I, I, in fact, imagine Jesus, even though he could have been everything, he could have been the king. He said, no, in the garden of Gethsemane, there he is thinking, praying, thinking, man, this is, this is the last time, the last night I'm gonna spend on earth 
like alive in the garden of Gethsemane. Like I'm not going to sleep before I die, before one of my closest friends betrays me, before all of my friends abandon me, before I get whipped, and on the back that got whipped, I'm gonna carry the cross that I'm going to be hung on in public wearing hardly any clothes so that way all the public can mock me and scorn me, and then I am going to die. And I bet he was thinking the Garden of Gethsemane, the night before all that happened, that this is going to be a lot of loss. This is going to be a lot of loss. But here's what Hebrews 12.2 says. It says, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. That reminds me of the verse we started with, Hebrews 13, 44, where the, where the guy, when he finds his treasure, when he finds that treasure, what does he do? He says, in, in, in his joy, in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has. Like, man, like, think to Jesus who on the cross, he's saying, man, this is my joy. Why? Because these present sufferings, what we're going through now is never going to compare to the future glory that awaits for us. If, if God is your treasure. And so I am telling you right now that like, man, life is better than with Christ. He's not trying to rip you off. He is wanting to set you free. And I wish, I wish I could go to my 16-year-old self and be tell him, man, I, I wish you would figure this out now instead of having to wait till you're, till you're 18. So we, we've talked about, we, we've answered three questions tonight. We've talked, what is, the right, what is the right response to heaven? Man, it is leveraging everything you have to obtain it. Everything you have. What is the cost? The cost of heaven is surrender. You did nothing to earn your salvation. It's a free gift of God, but it's going to cost you everything. It could cost you everything to follow Christ. And what makes it worth it? It's worth it because the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, is worth more than even life itself. And just, just to illustrate a point, illustrate these points, I, I wanted to end with the story. Uh, and, and you will like this story because it is... Uh, how I met my wife. It's a love story. Um, and it, it starts in 2018. So Allie, my wife Allie and I, we met at Canacook Camps. It, we were at the Cape Kauai, the family camp, where parents like your parents would come and bring their kids to camp. And uh, we were both counselors there. And family camp was kind of fun during, during the day, like during the morning, the, the speaker of the week would speak to the parents, and Allie and I, being counselors, we were with the high school kids, so we would hang out with the high school kids. Well, anyways, at the end of the third week of the summer, and, and let, me, let me set it straight, like this summer, I, I told all my guys, I was like, it is just me and Jesus this summer. Like, I'm just pursuing God, you know? Like, I'm not gonna be distracted. Well, by week one, I was already having a, a can of crush on Allie, and I was like, oh man, this is not good. Like, what's going on? And I, I kept telling myself, I'm gonna, I'm gonna wait till the end of summer to ask her out, because it's just me and Jesus. Well, week three comes along, and the speaker of the week is this guy named Ted, and he's a funny, witty, charismatic guy. 
And he gets up in front of the college staff, just the college staff. There's probably 100 of us. And he says, he has $40 in his hand. And he says, hey, I love young love. I love it so much that I will pay for the first date of any guy that has a girl out right now in front of everyone. And remember, I'm, it's me and Jesus this summer. So I'm like, man, I, I'm not going to do it, but that's crazy, you know, is what I'm thinking. Well, a minute goes by, two minutes goes by, no one's asking. And I'm like, God, I might as well get paid, right? <laughs> like, if, if I'm going to ask God anyway, I might as well make some money. And, and you know, I'm like, I think he said yes. So I got, I got up and I went down, I got the $40, I got the mic and I said, Allie, will you go on a date with me? She didn't even, she didn't say anything. She was too flustered. Uh, but, but so that happened. And then the rest of the day, it was family camp again, right? So dads, they kept giving me more money. They were like, hey, $40 isn't enough these days. And so they're like, here's another 20. I had a couple hundred bucks to take her out on our first date. And then this, it gets crazier. The next year I go back to camp and we, it's like the same week again. Ali and I, we've done long distance for about a year, and Ted is back. And he comes to me and he says, like, hey, how are you and Ali doing? And I tell him, we're doing good. And he says, no pressure, but uh, when are you going to propose? Like, is engagement coming up? And I tell him, I say, hey, honestly, like, she's the one. I think within the next three to six months, probably, like, I want to propose to her. And he says, that's awesome. Well, later in that day, he told me, he said, hey, at the end of the week, I'm going to give my last message to the parents. I want, I want you to come to that message and, and uh, just leave the high schoolers, forget about them, like leave Allie, just, just you, just come alone. And so I'm like, okay. Well, I go to his message at the end of the week with the parents and Ted calls me to the front. I have, I have no idea what's going on. You know, I'm like, this is interesting. And, and he calls me to the front and he says, Will, like, we, all the parents here, we have just really been so encouraged by the way you and Allie have dated, and, and we want to cheer you guys on. Like we, we love young love, and we want to cheer you guys on. And he handed me an envelope with enough cash to pay for the engagement ring. And, I mean, I was floored, right? Like, I, I had no idea this was happening. Like, and this was, I don't know how, guys, like, heads up, fellas, start saving for a ring now. Like, I don't know how I was going to pay for it. I knew I was going to marry her, but I was like, I don't know how I was going to pay for it. And here Ted is, it's just saying, like, look, uh, Will, you did nothing, right? Like, so how does this fit into the message? Well, I did nothing. Like, I didn't ask for this. I didn't work harder to receive this. Like, Ted just put that together and said, we, we just want to do this for you. It's free. And then same way, like, man, receiving Christ is free. You did nothing. There's nothing you can do to earn it. It's a free gift. He's saying, all you have to do is take it. Just here it is. But then, but then what, what happens? When I took that money, what happened? I was saying to everyone in that room that I was going to go propose to Allie. And what happens when I propose to Allie? My life starts to change, right? Because here I am, a single guy. Like, I, I get to choose. I get to decide what I do with my money. I get to decide what I do with my time. And so, but, but there was a cost. Like, I, I wanted to marry Allie, and like, bringing someone else into your life is going to cause your life to change. The way I spend my time now is different than when I was single. The way I spend my money now is different than I was single. In the same way, 
Choosing Christ is free, but when you bring him into your life, your life is going to change. The way you spend your time will change. The way you talk will change. The way you spend your money is going to change. But it's worth it. It is so worth it. In the same way, even though my life has changed a lot since being married, like Allie is, she's the best thing that's happened to me on this earth. Like she's my best friend. Like life is so much more fun with Allie. And in the same way, like the gift of Christ is free. It's gonna cause your life to change, but it is worth it. It is so much more fun living life with Christ. So I, I hope tonight that you, if you haven't understood that before, that you just pray, talk to the leaders, talk to me, talk to Jermaine, talk to a friend and just say, man, I want to know Christ. Like, how can I have a relationship with him? If you haven't already, have that conversation tonight. Let me pray. God, I thank you for these students. Thank you for this time, man. I I know being a teenager can be hard, and I know it can be even harder when you're trying to follow Jesus, when there's a whole world out there who thinks it's crazy to follow you. But I pray that this room, God, that this room can be full of people, that they're willing to do just crazy things to follow you, God, that that, that, that they just fully surrender their lives to you if they haven't already. Uh, and, And so, God, matter the cost, no matter the cost, I want to follow you and I want these students to follow you. So I hope, I hope we do, God. I hope everyone in this room does. God, we love you and we need you. In your name I pray.